Chip, can we just pray together? In this manner, Jesus, we come to you with open hearts and open minds and open mouths so that you might fill them with your truth so that we could be rooted in you and be established more fully in you so that our lives could be energized and prepared to live out your fullness in this world. Um, God, you are a beautiful God, and we are so thankful that you are drawing near to us. God, as we, as we sat in a small group in the last hour and talked, I would pray that um, small kingdoms would die away in the next few moments. God, that many of us would come to you and just surrender our own ideas and concepts of what would bring joy and surrender and, and happiness. And God, we would just come to you with hearts of surrender to tell you that, Lord, we need you. Every hour of every day, we need you. You are our defense, Lord. And so, Father, we come to you um, hungry. Feed us. We come to you desperate for a word. Speak to us. You are good. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 I just want to read from Psalm 119 as our kids head to worship. If you've um, been in this series, we have been on a thought from Psalm 119 about orienting our lives around the truth of who God is, and then we have ventured to characters like Gideon and Elijah, and I would like to talk about Jonathan, I think even this week and next. But Psalm 119, verses 111 and 112, the entirety of the 119th chapter of the book of Psalms is just a heart cry for God and a desperation for his word. And I, I appreciate as, he re, as I read these words, it says, your statutes are my heritage forever, Lord. They're the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Your statutes, Lord, are my heritage. That's what I have gleaned, and they are forever. They're the joy of my heart. And my heart is therefore set on keeping your decrees to the very end. I don't, I don't know where you land in, in moments like this, but I kind of land when I'm looking at, I'm looking at a 60-year jar and thinking um, it's exciting for a group of 18-year-olds to stand up because they've got the whole jar. See, that's, that's kind of assuaged the sadness of moms and dads because there's still a whole jar here. Well, I was just sitting and reorienting this week as I pondered this moment and thought, over half my jar is gone. I mean, this whole one, it's goodbye. And this, the half of this, and I'm just sitting and going, God, I, I long for the days that you have given me to be for your glory and your good and your name. For God, you are our heritage. Your truths and your ways are what we are about. And so if we're going to orient here, I think it would be a great thing for every one of us to just kind of have this sitting here and saying, I, I've been given 60 years after I was 18, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, but God, this is Every one of these, these matter, and I want to orient my life toward your word. This, this is what I just read. So in that light, your statutes are my heritage. And so I'm going to find joy in them. 
My heart is set on keeping your decrees. And God, I will not end. I will, if you will, fight the good fight. I will run the race. And here's what I long to do, God. I want to finish the course. And I love Paul. And if I could, <coughs> if I could just be a bit like Paul, I would love to get at the end, reach the end of the course and to be able to say something like this to God with integrity of heart. God, I have fulfilled every task that you had for me. Is that not an immeasurable statement that Paul was able to make? I have completed what you had for me on this earth. I think that stems from one who has managed to walk this earth for the 60-year marble jar for the sake of the glory of God. Or at some point reaching, as Paul did, the place of surrender to say those other marbles were worthless. Yet for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and of walking in the fullness of of he, who he is. I was, um, I, I put this picture on the screen a few weeks ago. It's a picture of the cornerstone of this church. And I was thinking about heritage and who we are and what we're about and just having this incredible moment of saying, God, you are our hope. You are our refuge. You are our strength. Um, if, if you are, um, in first Samuel chapter 14, which is where we'll land in a few moments, we've been talking about a king named Saul and his son named Jonathan and Saul. The great descriptive in chapter 14, verse one is that he's sitting under a pomegranate tree surrounded by 600 warriors, surrounded even more by spiritual leaders, surrounded even more by Israel who are saying, lead us somewhere. And again, he's sitting under a pomegranate tree. And I think there's a group of people who said there's a heritage that we want to be about. And in 1956, they began to say, God, would you do something among us that is so profound? I was, I was sitting in a waiting room in the last week and a half um, with the Yeldell family, and I'm going to end telling a little more about that. But I was sitting in a waiting room, and I met a guy who actually stood here, or actually not in this place, but stood near here for Mandarin Baptist Church leading worship in 1962. And he's just sitting and having these great stories with me. And I, what I love about him is he led worship here in 1962. And while he's sitting in the waiting room, he's got sheets of worship music out preparing to lead worship. Um, and he told me where, and I don't remember where, this coming Sunday. He's just coming and saying, we want you to taste and see that our God is good. And I love what he began to share. And he started talking about as they sat under a tree and dreamed dreams and had vision and said, God, this is what we want to be about. He was saying, this is the cornerstone. This is who we are. And we came out with dreams and visions and, and I'm just having this dialogue in a waiting room for about an hour. So how did, how is it going now? And I, I just thought, God, we've, we've got to have this heart of John Knox, if you will. John Knox, I jotted a quick thought as we look at the cornerstone of who we are. God, you are the pearl of great price. You are our heritage. Please do not allow pomegranate trees to cover us or shade us from the holiness of who you are. We want to move with you. John Knox is known for this prayer. It's a very simple prayer. Give me Scotland or I die. His prayer wasn't an arrogant demand of God. It wasn't a, look, I've got this great thing to do. It was a passionate plea of a man whose heart was bent toward the nation of Scotland. And he said, if I am going to walk this earth, oh God, for the glory of your name and for the sake of the gospel, give me Scotland or I die. I thought of this cornerstone, I thought of this moment, I thought of pomegranate trees, I thought of Jonathan and his 
passion to go. And I thought, oh God, if we would sit in and redream and reorient and reimagine and re-impassion and say thoughts like this, Father, whatever it is that we must do, give us greater Mandarin or we would prefer to perish. Father, for the sake of your gospel, give us Jacksonville or we die. If we begin to wrestle with that, I believe as we look at the life of Saul, a king who was surrounded by warriors, who was surrounded by spiritual leaders, and who sat under a pomegranate tree, we would ask ourselves, Oh, Father, are we more like Saul or are we more like Jonathan, who simply said to his armor bearer, Give us this hill or we die. But either way, God's name is to be glorified. And I I think there are some things that separate. In fact, I I said there are three words in chapter 1 Samuel, chapter 14, verse 6, that separate Jonathan from Saul, and I think separate many from others who proclaim the faith. In 1 Samuel 14, verse 6, he begins looking at his armor mare and says three words, Come, let's go. Let's go. We, we know that there are many that are sitting under pomegranate bushes, but if we could, oh God, give us this hill or we die. Your name is to be reconciled here. Your name is to be made great. And I love that. I'm going to just turn to 1 Samuel 14. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, let's go to the outpost to the uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether it's the 600 and Saul or there's the two of us. Nothing can hinder the work of God's hand. And I think there's powerful because he's saying maybe he'll work on our behalf, but we're going to go pick a fight. Not everything is guaranteed. There's no money in the bank. There's nothing that promises this. But here's where he landed. We know for certain these truths, O armor bearer, God's word can be trusted and he's already spoken and we must act. As God speaks, the only path is not a path of a pomegranate tree. It is the path of a John Knox heart. Give us this hill or we die. So God's word not only can be trusted, but obedience is the path of worth to God. And there are many of us sitting in this room, and the Lord is saying, as a cornerstone of who you are, you are ignited with passion to come and to make the name of Christ great in greater Mandarin, in greater Jacksonville, and as the scripture would tell you, to the ends of the earth. And could we come with this heart to God? We surrender every other thing. God, give us this or we die. That God's glory is compelling, is what Jonathan would say to us. That his power is enough. That our role is to trust him. That not everything is guaranteed. This, this should come up on the screen. There are truths that you can know. And there are discoveries that you'll never know unless you go. There are truths that you and I can know, and yet there are discoveries that are found in the realm of faith. And unless we step out and say, come, let's go. And maybe God will act on our behalf. But here's what we already know. He has told us that the Philistines will be defeated by his great name and through his power. And so I don't think the place for us is a pomegranate tree. I don't think this is the sitting spot for those who are followers. I believe it is an urgency and a passion to move forward with the name of God. And he was not, Jonathan was not saying, I'm choosing now to die. And I'm going to do it boldly. I think he was saying, I'm choosing now to live, unlike the rest of you who are safely eating pomegranates under a bush.
I am going to live for the sake of the glory. I am going to follow through and do what is right as defined by God, regardless of the personal cost. I am going to move forward for the sake of his kingdom. And I am going to move in the midst of uncertainty. Because in the midst of that uncertainty, there is this place of miracles where God will act on our behalf. And so come, let's go. I believe I just want to read some more from Psalm 119 as we just ponder his heart in verses 41 and 42. As Jonathan said, Lord, may your unfailing love come to me, your salvation according to your promise. And then I will answer those who taunt. And I will answer those who mock us for what we believe. For God, I trust in your word. There is a movement that we're inviting into for the sake of the kingdom. And there is a movement that clearly as we walk in the midst of that, we will receive taunting and mockery. And he's just looking and saying, I I don't care. God, your word is the truth that defines me. And I will step into the midst of mockery and walk for your name. Psalm 119 verses 49 through 51. Remember your word to your servant for you give me hope. My comfort in the suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. The arrogant, if you will, in 1 Corinthians 14, they mock me. They stand at the top of cliffs. And without adding to the story, they stand at cliffs and they mock us. Who is your God? Where are you? We're under a pomegranate tree. Jonathan just looks in the midst of the night and says, come on, let's go. This God he cannot be mocked. The arrogant mock me without restraint. But here's our heart. I do not turn from your law. There may be this mockery going on, but God, according to Acts 17, I live and move and have my being in Christ and for Christ. I just want to share three super simple things from this story in these scriptures. A movement is established, and it's by God, and it's for God. In other words, we're not sitting in this room and saying, look, I I really want you to go do something big today. I think if you can look back at scripture, and there's ample room for this, if you can look back at scripture, find some places where God has already spoken, and say, I see that, and I'm already going there. A movement is already crafted by God and for God. God has already invited us into his story. It is established in that way. Jonathan, in this moment, could have felt utterly powerless in 1 Samuel 14. Because, again, those who were his upline, those who held the titles or the authority, those who, were, who had progressed and paved the path, They were set in their ways, and they're sitting under a pomegranate tree. He is the understudy in this story. He is the underling in this story. And he is sitting and saying, look, I'm looking around me. And they're firmly planted on the ground eating pomegranates. Jonathan had no leverage with Saul, and he had no leverage to move. He didn't turn to the masses, and there were masses, again, 600, according to 1 Samuel 14, that are sitting on go. He didn't turn to them and say, look, we're going to create an insurrection against Saul, and we're going to go together, and we're going to leave him here. That was not his purpose. 
the lack of authority, I think the two things that so often stymie us in the midst of a movement that is established, by the way, by God and for God, the things that often stymie us is this. I don't have the authority or the influence to do this, or I don't have the resources to do this. As I read this, I don't seem to see that that's a concern for Jonathan. What Jonathan essentially was saying is what we should be landing on from both our small groups this morning and in this scripture right now in 1 Samuel chapter 14. What Jonathan seems to be saying is, I have God, I have his word, I have the sovereignty of his personhood, I have the glory of his name, let's go. A movement is established not when we garner the resources, when Mandarin, and you finally look down at your ministry guide and we've made budget, then we can go. When you finally receive this part of your certification or this part of your education, and then we go. The moment that we go is when we see God at work and we move with him and we obey him. When we're standing in the midst of mockery and his name needs to be glorified, many of us need to look at one another and say, let's go. What are we doing sitting here under a pomegranate tree? Let's dream. Here's what he didn't do. He didn't override the king. He didn't garner the masses. He didn't foster insurrection. He had one man placed under his authority. So he turned to that one man and he said, would you go with me? He just invited him. He did not place his confidence in those in authority or those in position other than God. I have no, I have no doubt that many of us are sitting in this room going, there's things we would love to do when and if and however. And I'm just Wondering if God has put a seed into your life years ago and he's just been waiting for you to say, come, let's go, because that is the place of the miraculous. You're waiting for resources. You're waiting for someone of leadership to take it. And maybe God's been saying, it's your lead. Let's go. You got one person under your command and a whole bunch of Philistines saying, you can't pull this off. Jonathan's going, this is going to be exciting. God can do this whether by many or by few. But come on, let's go for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jonathan's life and his heart held this in conviction. He was swayed by passion. Don't miss this. He was swayed by passion, but he was rooted in truth. And he was not moving forward with certitude other than his certainty in the gospel and the glory of the living God. That's what moved him forward. That's why this could possibly be one of my favorite passages of this of scripture. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf, but we're going. Maybe God will do something great, but we're going. How many times have you and I concluded that we were powerless to make a decision to invoke change, to move for the sake of the kingdom because we lack the resources or the influence that we felt we needed. How many times have you sat in a church life and heard vision cast? And I I remember my first ministry, I just, I won't reflect on this too long because this is off the page and I want to say on the page. But how many times have you sat in and heard Jesus followers say, I think God's calling us to this and a group that come around them saying, I think we should table this. We might as well just call that the pomegranate table. I haven't heard that ever at this church, but I've heard that many times. We should table this. In other words, let's kind of wait until we have resources, authority, or until it's convenient. And the Lord's saying, look, I'm I'm just telling you that the heritage of who I am is mocking you up that hill. And I'm wondering what you're going to do about it. 
The nations are crying out for those who will come for the sake of the glory of God. Mandarin is just dying for people to come and speak and live truth among them. Come on, let's go for the sake of the gospel. I I wrote these sentences down. Saul was paralyzed because he had far too much to lose. And what Saul failed to realize in chapter 14, verse 1, in sitting under the tree, this is 1 Samuel again, what he failed to realize is that it was in losing that he gained. It was in laying down his rights that he gained what God wanted from him. Saul was paralyzed. He did not want to lose rights, preferences, or I promise you he didn't want to lose his life in this moment. It was pretty comfortable. His wishes, they were coming along. The more that we move with God, the more we must move with a God-given urgency. This, this is coming up on your screen, and I know this is out of order. So listen, guys, up in the booth, because this is a huge sentence. The more God blesses, can you get that one? The more God blesses, we don't have that one. Oh, that's the best sentence in the whole thing. Would you, you want to write this one down. I, I think this is huge. The more God blesses, the more we have to lose. The more we have to lose, the more we must risk. The more we have to risk, the higher the cost of following God. The more God blesses, the more we have to lose. The more we lose, the more we have to risk. The more we have to risk, the higher the cost of following God. And it comes a point when we're sitting around going, we've just kind of done that already. We've already walked down that road. I know they had a vision in 1962. I think they had something in 1956. I know someone drank too much onions and buttermilk that day, and they probably had a dream or something. The more you walk in the heart of God, the more you gain his blessings. As a church, we must stand on the edge and say, you have blessed us in the past. We are sitting in an air-conditioned building, and you are giving us comforts for this moment. But we are risking right now that we would prefer to have what we have in the past than we would prefer to have a future that glorifies and honors God. And the more that God blesses, the more that we have to say, I have zero interest in my comfort. I am going to come back to you, Lord, lay down my life, die to self so that you could come alive again. Because God, I don't believe the past blessings are the only ones that you have for me. I believe that you eternally, permanently, forever invite me to lay down my life for you. And I believe the stymie of a movement is that very issue that we reach a point of saying, I like the pomegranate tree, I like the red carpet, I like this room, and I like my comfort, and it is costly to look at Jonathan, the only one under your stead, and say, let's go. But it's worth it. A movement, it is by God, and it is for God. I, I, Jonathan just said, I, I want to risk. I, I want to read some sentences I write. We have to remain in a place of dependence on God. If what he has given us stands in the path of who he is to us, then we must once again lay our gifts down at his feet. If what he has given us stands in the path of who he is to us, then it is our call to lay that down again. There's zero room for arrogance or this 
past who you are. God, I come and lay my life and surrender before you again. For there are Philistines again calling out. And your glory and your sovereignty and your name are compelling. Character, passion for God, certitude in his truth compels a movement. I wrote this definition down and it's coming on the screen. Character is this, being compelled to do what is right as defined by God, regardless of the personal costs. You know, I think as we look at this story in 1 Samuel 14, 6, there's great risk in this story. Regardless of the personal cost, God, I want to move with you. A movement is contagious. You should hear this. A movement is contagious. This is a second thought. My third one's really short. So a movement is contagious and it travels through relationships. It's really this powerful moment as you read 1 Samuel 14 and you just begin to see this interaction. Jonathan in chapter 14, verse 6 said to his young armor bearer, let's go to the outpost. Perhaps the Lord will act. That's not a very assuring statement to a guy who's following you into what is potential and impending death. And I love verse 7. It's a powerful verse. How many people around you see so much character, so much reality in your life that you are a man or woman that does what is right as defined by God, regardless of the cost, so that when you're in that moment and you're looking up and saying, this is where we go, they begin to respond in this way. Do everything you have in mind. And oh, by the way, while you do that, I'm going with you heart and soul. Character and passion and certitude in the reality of the sovereignty and the glory of God, that sparks a movement by and for God. And that movements typically travel in the heart of relationships. It's looking around this room and saying, I want to find a cadre of people who are sitting around me saying, let's glorify God with our bodies and with our hearts and with our minds. Let's move forward this kingdom of Christ. I'm with you. Character is the resource through which a a movement draws strength and vision. But the mobility of that, the venue for the traveling of movement, it's relationships. It's you and I sitting together and beginning to dream together of the power of the gospel among us. So that when we look and say, we've got to go do this, you're looking and going, I'm with you heart and soul. Tell me what you need. Tell me what I can do. Tell me how this happens. We don't know how it happens. Tell me how we walk with God. Tell me how I can do this. Tell me how I can pray this. And it is mobilized through relationships with one another. And if we're sitting in this room with shallow relationships that are not reckoning themselves before the living, living God, and we are not in unity with one another, and we are not mobilizing with one another, we will not be a part of a movement of the living God. And that is a huge amen. Whether you agree with it or not is irrelevant. Read the book of Acts. They're one in heart and mind. They're mobilizing for the sake of the gospel. Their passion is to move together. The character of who we are is the mobilization of a strength and vision, but relationships, it's how the gospel of Christ carries. I listened and saw this. I was sitting in, and I'm kind of glad Karen's not here tonight. Bob and Karen, we were sitting in our closing of the book of James. We've been 12 weeks in the study of the book of James, and I thought, this is how it travels through relationships. Karen and Bob were just sharing their story, and I just kind of heard her, and I love what she had to say, and she said, you know, I'm really stepping out on the edge, and I'm beginning to memorize the book of James. And I thought, that's awesome. 
She said, and then, then I want to understand what's happening is my grandkids are beginning to memorize the book of James, the first four. And I'm like, that's beautiful. I sit there for a minute and go, I said, where are you? She said, I'm traveling through. I've completed and memorized chapter one. I'm completing and memorizing, working my way through chapter two. And I, it's just amazing what God is doing and how it's traveling in the heart of my family. My grandkids are in the first four. And I'm like, that's extraordinary. The first four verses of chapter one. And she says, no, 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 no. They're in the first four chapters of the book of James are hidden in their heart. And just this passion. I, I love a grandmother who's sitting in the room saying, I know that my influence is going to travel, grandmothers, mothers and dads. I know that what I'm going about is going to travel. And so if it's going to travel, it's going to travel rooted in the heart of Scripture. And my grandkids just might, because I'm modeling for them, just might memorize the entirety of the book of James. And here's what they're going to memorize. They're not memorizing another study, which most of us in Jesus circles like. They're memorizing this. If you don't go and do something with this, it's a dead faith. If you don't tame your tongue and quit running other people down, you are walking so vigilantly away from God. If you don't begin to have unity of the faith and passion for the gospel, then you are not walking the fullness of God. They're beginning to learn James, who did, clearly did not have any tact about him whatsoever. He's kind of looked at the church and said, here's where we're going to go, and you don't like what I say or not. It matters not to me. I'm just telling you, this is what you have to be about. In the grand scheme of things, her grandkids are memorizing truths about the sovereignty of God, about living the word of God, about uniting in the spirit of God, about taming our tongue, praise God we need it, about submission to God, about the shortness of life, and about the vastness of eternity. It travels through relationships. It truly, powerfully changes lives. And in movement, my closing thought is this, it has far greater implications. Rick Wheeler likes to compel us to think about churches, and so he's always asking us questions. And I've got a diagram that's been sitting for over two years in my office on my whiteboard, and it talks about there's results that you desire because you're saying this is important to us. And I love the part that blows out of that. It's called impact results, things you cannot know that are just going to happen because you're being obedient to God. And there's national implications here. I doubt that, that Jonathan knew in chapter 14, verses 16 through 18, that this was going to go down. Saul's lookouts at Gibeon, Benjamin, 1 Samuel 14, 16. They, they saw the army, the Philistines, melting away in all directions. Saul said to the men who were with him, muster the forces and see who has left us. When they did, it was Jonathan. It was his armor bearer. I'm sure they were looking around going, see who else? That's just Jonathan, and it's just his armor bearer, and they took off, and I heard something about he might or might do this, and I heard something about heart and soul, and they just took off. They were climbing the mountain. Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God. At the time, it was with the Israelites. While Saul was talking to the priests, the tumult in the Philistine camp increased more and more. Saul said, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all of his men assembled. They went into battle. They found the Philistines in confusion. It goes on and on, and Israel was mobilized, and there was great rejoicing among the people of God. Because there are, there are results that you can't fathom when you and I are sitting and saying, we are going to chop down the pomegranate tree. And we're going. 
And I'm not suggesting that this is a call to go to another nation. I am suggesting that it is a call to go to the foot of the Father and ask Him, what have you already spoken? Who are you? And where do you want me? And the answer is already yes. We'll go. A movement can have implications. It points to God as the only source of glory. I love the passage. It carries on down just past where I read. And it just, it said these simple words. It said, um, I just read them. And I lost them. But it basically just said, and the battle moved on. And the people kept walking. And I thought, that's so beautiful. In other words, You're going to have visceral moments with God. You're going to have these watershed moments. And you will stand in them and go, you're such a good God. And I love you. And then the battle moves on. And there's more to accomplish. And the more that you have walked in the midst of a blessing, the more the risk is that you'll stay there. And the more that you'll say, this blessing was enough. And I like it here. This was a good fight at Michmash. I think I will stay here because God blessed here. And he's saying, and then it just went on. Because there's another battle for another day. And there are implications that are huge. Let's go, dreamers. It's contagious when we dream about God-sized vision and we share that. I want to end this way. I, end, I had um, the great privilege to stand in the room with um, Bill and Linda Yeldell as they prepared for Linda's surgery about 10 days ago now. Is that right? Something, something in that vicinity. It was just powerful. It was just, it was just such a good time. You, I mean, we're, I'm going to say you because I wasn't here for this. You're, you're blessed with a great heritage as a pastor. Perfect? No. Extraordinary family? Oh my goodness. Walking with God? We should stand and rejoice. I mean, I, I got to see things and I probably won't do justice to this, but I got to see powerful things like um, Eric. You know, the baby of the family, cool, cool converse, spiky hair, never met him before, passionate about the things of God, leading worship down in South Florida, doing amazing things. That was good enough just meeting Eric. He's got a little energy. I mean, you know, some of you say you're energetic. I have nothing compared to Eric Yeldell. That guy is moving. And he's just talking, but the coolest part is we went back. Eric and I got to go back together with Brother Bill, and we're just standing in the room praying with his mom. And what, what was amazing to me was when he, when he FaceTimed in his wife and all the grandkids. And when his wife started praying, whoa, oh my goodness, she started just pouring scripture over her mother-in-law. And all the grandkids are just speaking truths. They're like two years old speaking from the prophet. I just thought, what a heritage, what a blessing, what an impact results of Bill and Linda that they're having. I stood and, and listened to Jennifer, who's, by the way, also quite energetic, and um, their daughter, for those of you that are newer to this church, and Gary, who's just, I love Gary, I've known Gary for years, just talking to Gary about the kingdom. And I, I thought the impact results of this are so huge, so things that they could never have fathomed back in the day. And, and what a privilege you had to be a, along with them and speak life into this family and these kids. And I can only hope that my five kids one day will gather around my bed and have anything that looked like this, where their spouses will pray scripture with me. I grabbed Brother Bill's hand and said, this is my prayer goal for my family. They're just rooted in Scripture. And I, here's what was amazing for me as I listened to this, and I thought, God, what are we about? Because we get lost in minutia. 
We get lost in things that stress us in this moment. And God is saying, would you turn your eyes back to me? Would you center on me? Because I'm doing a bigger story than the next five minutes while you walk as a vapor on this earth. And the best moment of listening to Jennifer, she's talking about Africa. And Jennifer's got a new boyfriend. And I can say that publicly because she said it publicly on the internet. And she's got this new boyfriend. And it's just awesome. And here, you know how they met? They met preparing to go to Africa. They're just, they're in this class and they're talking about our hearts were bent for the things of God. And it was awesome. And then I met the girl that Jennifer is mentoring right now, who's a junior at Providence and is already called to be a missionary. And she's mentoring her one-on-one. And this girl's sitting with some man that's related to the family. And I have no idea who, because it's just one big hoopla for the things of God. And, and literally I'm just seeing this man who's asking her all these questions about where her heart's going. And I just thought, oh God, this is a group who have said, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of how this is currently going, regardless of what we're doing, we're going. And we're going to be in Africa, and we're going to be in Jacksonville, and Brother Bill right now is in Fernandina preaching his heart out for the second time in the last three years, and we're, we're just going to love Jesus. And we're going to sing songs with our family, which they did for hours, and we're going to sing songs in Naples, and I don't know who all lives in Keystone, but there's enough for Gary to join with them in Keystone, and he's going to sing, and it's just going to travel through relationships with this heart that says, let's go. And it's my prayer that that traveling spirit of the living God would rest among us. And then we would say, let's go. God's name's to be glorified. Let's go. You're alive in us, Lord. Let's go. We dreamed dreams before. Let's dream them again. Let's go for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all I have for today. I don't think that's all that Jesus has for today. So let's praise him right now and pray together. God, I pray that you would call us out I think more importantly, Jesus, I just am looking at my notes and praying that you'll surround us with family and friends who just long to be a part of a God-sized movement. God, I pray that this room will be a whole slew of people who just desperately desire to experience you together. I pray for something powerful among us. And I pray that the words of this song would be true of us, that we would say, Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you, that this simple lyric would compel us outward today. If you could just look this way before we close in singing. Some of our staff in a few minutes, we'll be here at the front, but we'll also be in the missions room to just talk about life. But I, I started this with the John Knox quote that I remembered in, from years ago. And I just want to end sitting there and going, you know what, God, would you describe Mandarin Baptist as this way? 
give us Jacksonville or we die. Would, would you describe the heartbeat of this church, the gathering for the last three hours, your own heart? Would you describe that as, as our heart for the gospel? God, you've placed us here. Give us this or we, we, we would rather perish. I think that that heart will spawn for John Knox creativity to speak the gospel and an impassioned nature to relentlessly pursue it regardless of circumstance for the rest of his days. And so I'm praying that simple sentence through us. Lord, give us this city or just let us perish because your gospel is that vibrant to us. Can we just close this service singing simple words? Lord, we need you to do this. We need to surrender to you to do this. Would you stand with me? Would you sing these lyrics with me? Would you worship with me? Can we just be together and allow the spirit to travel through relationships?